If you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, please turn with me to Psalm 60. Psalm 60. We got we got four. Um, we have four relatively short psalms tonight. Um, actually, five. We're going to go through Psalm 60 to 64, and that won't be hard to do. They're relatively short. You know, like I, I was I was sort of joking, half joking, when I said, you know, we, these Wednesdays they come like right when we seem to need it, and we, you know, that. The, the fellowship of the saints, the the encouragement of the body of Christ for one another, and um, and you know, there's some weeks are tougher than others. You know, this has been a tough one for for a lot of people. Just you know, everything that's been going on in the world, and um, you know, I don't know about you guys, but you know, it's you just got to turn off. You know the news after a while and watch I Love Lucy or something, you know, because it just, you know, really, it just, <clears throat> it's, it's, sometimes it's too much. We went out today and um, Claire and I took a couple of hours and went out for a ride and went to a park and just tried to, you know, sort of take in God's beauty for a while. Because there's so much ugliness, you know, in the world and, and yet, you know, we're, we're in it. And, uh, and how does God minister to us as believers, you know, and how can we then in turn minister to others who are hurting, you know? So, you know, I see all of those things and, and, um, and then, you know, and then the Psalms seem to just, you know, uh, relate in so many ways, you know, and, and you know, be, because of what, what especially David who wrote most of them, um, what he went through, he went through everything. He went through so many difficulties, um, you know, from family issues. You know, his family was a mess, and it wasn't. He didn't do much to help it. You know, to to uh, you know, just being attacked by those who he thought were were his friends, and attacked by the enemies of of the nation, and um, you know, all of the different things that he went through, and that we can relate to. So. You know, the Psalms really has that ministry effect on us. And, um, and this Psalm is no different. Um, as I studied this, this particular Psalm and, and went back over it again, and I, and I realized the implications for us, uh, for God to minister to us through this Psalm. Uh, and then I went back and I saw one of the commentaries on Psalm 60, and listen to what this. Listen to what um, uh, I I use the John MacArthur Study Bible, and listen to what John MacArthur says about this psalm, and see if maybe this isn't God's you know perfect timing for us. He says this psalm is a national lament, written after the unexpected military setback alluded to in Second Samuel 8 and First Chronicles 18. While David and the main part of his army were fighting in the northern part of the country, one of Israel's other neighboring enemies, Edom, successfully attacked the southern part of Judah. David ultimately prevailed in victory. The psalm expresses the feelings of a people shocked and confused by a tragedy which suggested that God had abandoned them. 
Now, I don't know about you, you guys, but I think a lot of people felt sh shock and confusion on Monday. I know a lot. I, I, I was hearing the people respond to what happened at the Boston Marathon, and they said we were just. It was a state of confusion, and uh, you know, and and it was a shock to them that that anything like this would happen at this event, and so. You know, I went back and I read the I read the uh, the commentary and I said, "Okay, God, you you want to you want to minister to us through this psalm." And I'm not making direct application because I think we we um, we need to be careful when we do that. This is a specific psalm written about a specific time and an event and and circumstances in David's life. But I think, generally speaking, we can take what David went through and how he responded and how he ministers um, through the Psalms and we can apply those same things to our lives. So just a little just a little background on how God ministered to me through through studying this. So um, so Psalm 60, the title to the chief mus musician set to Lily of the Testimony, a mictum of David. A mictum is a uh, translated a precious or a golden psalm, something. Um, just he, he gives certain psalms a special title. Just I, maybe they meant more to him for some reason, but they're precious in his sight. A mictum of David for teaching. And I love that about, about this particular psalm. He doesn't say it about many psalms, for teaching. So, you know, what David goes through, we need to be able to learn from. The, the psalms that he writes, we need to be able to uh, use them and learn from the experiences that, that he went through. So uh, it's for teaching, for teaching us. When he fought against Mesopotamia and Syria and Zo of Zobah, and Joab returned and killed 12,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. So David here is, um, is speaking about his sense, his feelings that God has abandoned him, abandoned the nation um, because of this, the, uh, the military um, setback that he had. So in verse, verses 1 through 3, it says, O oh God, you have cast us off. You have broken us down. You have been displeased. O oh, restore us again. You have made the earth tremble. You have broken it. Heal its breaches, for it is shaking. You have shown your people hard things. You have made us drink the wine of confusion. So, again, we see here um, that David starts off in this psalm more, more in a complaining um, tone. God, you've cast us off. You've abandoned us. He, he looks at the circumstances as many times we do. We look at our circumstances and we... And we misjudge what God is doing in the midst of those circumstances. And many times um, we, we think he's abandoned us or he's, he's cast us off. And I, and I notice in verse 1, it, it, David says, you have been displeased. You have been displeased. What may we have done sometimes to cause displeasure in God's eyes that we now are reaping the, uh, the, the consequences because God is displeased, we may be, we may be uh, reaping, uh, suffering the consequences of, of sin. 
So he, pray, he prays there, restore us. We recognize we've displeased you, God. And we recognize that what we're going through now is maybe a result of us displeasing you. And then we pray for him to restore us. David says in verse 2, you've made the earth tremble. You have broken it. Heal its breaches for it is shaking. And, and again, I, I, you know, I don't make direct application, but I like to think about what happened on Monday and how people must, they, I heard people say, you know, the earth just shook beneath my feet, you know, when, that, when those bombs went off. And, you know, how sometimes, you know, it's because we live in an unstable world. David is expressing the sense of instability that the people felt at that time. And we can relate. We can relate because our world is insecure. Our world, the world around us is unstable. You know, there's only one stable rock in this world, and that's Jesus Christ. When we experience insecurity and instability, it can seem as though God has cast us off. But his word says that he never leaves us or forsakes us. So if we really think about it deeply, we understand that, it's, that the things that go on, the circumstances or situations that we find ourselves in, it's not because God has forsaken us. It's just part of this fallen world that we live in. And he, he speaks here, uh, whether a real earthquake had occurred, probably not, or it just feels like the earth is, is breaking apart. The people, the nation, felt it at that time, and, and David ex is expressing that. And when calamity hits, doesn't confusion usually follow? Because we just don't understand. And, and whether it's a, a national event, a worldwide event, or, or something that's going on in our own lives. You know, sometimes when, when we're going through these things, it's just, we just have a sense of confusion. We don't know. We don't know where to turn. We don't know what's going on. And, 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 you know, instead of looking at ourselves, looking at our circumstances, we need to look to God. Verses 4 and 5 says, You have given a banner to those who fear you, that it may be displayed because of the truth, Selah, that your beloved may be delivered. Save with your right hand and hear me. Now, David is... is again starting to turn and he says our faith in God is like a banner to the world how we respond to the things that are going on in our lives is like a banner to the world it, it's displayed to others because of the truth behind it it's displayed no matter what difficulties arise we display the banner of trust in God because we have the truth of the word of God to rely on, we believe and know that we will be delivered. That's a banner to the rest of the world. That's a, that's a sign to others that we put our faith and our trust in a never-changing, always faithful God. And at, at times in, in, in our nation's history or, or in our personal lives when we're going through difficulties, it's so good to be able to just put our confidence in something that's rock steady. And then in verses 6 through 8, God has spoken in his holiness, I will rejoice, 
I will divide Shechem and measure out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine, and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the helmet for my head. Judah is my lawgiver. Moab is my washpot. Over Edom I will cast my shoe. Philistia shout in triumph because of me. These verses demonstrate David's confidence that God will declare him king of Israel. See, God is trustworthy because of his holiness. God is trustworthy because he is set apart from man. Man is corrupt. God is faithful. There's a, there's, there's a, a, a wide divide between man and God. And David recognizes that God's, God's hand is upon all of the things that are going on in the nation at the time. And that he will bring David to full rule over all of Israel. Then in 9 and 10, David writes, Who will bring me to the strong city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, O God, who cast us off? And you, O God, who did not go out with our armies? So David now is asking rhetorically, who will be the cause of my victory? Because he really knows that it's only by God's strength and his presence that he can be triumphant. And, and we can, again, the psalm tells us that it's something that should be for teaching. We can learn from that, that it's only by God's strength, it's only by God's presence that we can be victorious. In verse 11 and 12, give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. Again, a comparison between the help of man and the help of God. You know, when, when, when we really are in a, a time of need, it's God it's God who we need to go to. We are victorious in this life because of God. And remember, it says in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches, Jesus says. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. fruit. Why? For without me, you can do nothing. There's our perspective, folks. Not, no, no matter what we're going through, especially in times of need, look to Jesus. Without Jesus, we can do nothing apart from him. And it says in that verse, man's help is useless, but God's help is always faithful and there. Um, Psalm 61. To the chief musician on a stringed instrument, a psalm of David. Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Selah. Again here, David shows us where to turn in our times of distress. He cries to the Lord. And he, he, he cries that God will hear him. He pleads with God to hear him and to attend to his prayer, to deal with his distress. 
And then God provides benefits to us as believers. And, and that's not why we have a relationship with him. It's just, it's just sort of that, that uh, blessed thing that comes out of that relationship, that he provides benefits. When we are overwhelmed and shaken, he's our steady rock. The picture is that of a shipwrecked man in the midst of a storm looking for a high place to settle. As the waves are crashing about him, he needs to get higher and higher so that he can be in a safe place. And although a storm may be raging around us, we are safe because God is our shelter. But in our natural state, we don't tend to go there. You know, we try to, we, we try to solve the problems ourselves. It says here that he, he's asking God to lead him in verse 2. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. He's saying, God, I don't do this well on my own. I need you to lead me to that place of refuge, of rescue, of defense and protection. Because in in my own ways, I won't go there. I need you to lead me there. Then in verses 5 through 8, it says, For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life, his years, as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O oh, prepare mercy and truth, which may preserve him. So I will sing praise to your name forever that I may daily perform my vows. He's speaking of vows he makes to God. You know, and, and I, we spoke of this, I think, the last time we got together about our vows to God, our promises to God. And sometimes we make those promises in the midst of distress and we sort of say, okay, God, get me out of this one and I promise to me be more diligent. I vow God to be more diligent in my prayer life, more diligent in my study life. I promise, I vow before you, God, just get me through this. And you know, everything that we promise to God, if we think about it, it's his already. I mean, we really can't give God anything that isn't already his, that isn't, he isn't deserving of already, whether it's our devotions, whether it's our time with him, whether it's the way we treat one another, which, is refle which reflects God's love to others. There's nothing really that we can vow or promise to God that he doesn't deserve already. And yet he accepts those vows. He receives them like he, he desires them. He receives those vows as if he needs them. You see... Our vows are ultimately for his glory, not for ourselves. He rewards us because of our faithfulness, but it's not because of anything that we've done. It's just because of his love, because that's his nature, that's his character. So our vows to God will produce benefits but not because of anything that we've done. He says, you have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. We have a heritage as believers. We have a heritage with God. 
We have a special place in God's, in God's eyes as believers. And isn't, isn't, that, isn't that the best benefit of all? You know, that we have a place, not only, not only salvation, an abundant life here, that he, that he receives our, our promises, he receives our worship. And the fact that he even hears our vows is really a testimony more, more than anything else, testimony to his grace, his grace and his love toward us. Uh, Psalm 62. To the chief musician, to Jedithon, a psalm of David. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Selah. David here is giving us another sense that he's, he, he needs God to be his rock. He needs God to be his, his protection. He needs God to be his defense because he's being attacked. You know, and boy, we have seen so much in the Psalms of, of David's life. We never really see as much, even going through the accounts, you know, in, in, in uh, First and Second Samuel and in the Chronicles, we see David's life, but we never really see his heart like we do in the Psalms. We don't, we don't really see deep into the situations that he's going through. But he obviously was under so much attack for so much of his life. And the, and the sense that we get from the word truly in verse 1 is that of being only, only. True faith is that faith which only rests on God. And David recognizes the source of his abundant life. And then he lists the benefits. Again, our relationship with God, because of his love and his grace toward us, comes with benefits. Salvation, in verse 2, only comes from God. And our defense, Jesus is our advocate before the Father. He stands in our place before the Father. And he says, Father, don't look at him, look at me. I've taken his sin upon me. Look at my righteousness and apply that to Paul. How awesome is that? That God is our defense. That Jesus will stand in our place because of what he's done. Verses 5 through 8. My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. 
Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. David here is teaching us to train our souls to wait upon God. Why do we need to train our souls to wait upon God except that waiting really is not easy to do? Waiting is probably the most difficult thing we can do in our relationship with God or even outside of our relationship with God. We, none of us like to wait. None of us like to be in a traffic jam. None of us like to be on the longest line in the supermarket. We just, waiting is just not, especially in today's day and age, everything is sort of fast food. Waiting is not easy. So David is, is saying, we need to train our souls to wait upon God. It doesn't come naturally. And it doesn't come naturally to depend on someone else other than ourselves. So not only waiting is difficult, but then depending on someone other than ourselves is difficult. You know, the, this, this relationship with God needs constant reminders day by day in order for that relationship to grow and to be nurtured and to flourish and, to, and, and, and so that our relationship is, is more intimate each day. We need to be constantly reminded that he's our strength. He's our rock. He's the source of our salvation. He is our defense. We shall not be moved. And so that's why these, you know, the, the Psalms just speak daily, daily, day by day to us. It gives us perspective, too. In verses 9 through 12, we'll start to see some perspective that David is bringing to this. You know, he is always challenging us in the Psalms, to acknowledge what and who we put our trust in. And he's always giving us comparisons. In verses, verses 9 through 12, he says, Surely men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. So it doesn't matter whether they're powerful men in this world or insignificant in our eyes, what we would consider insignificant men of a high degree or a low degree. David sort of lumps them all into the same category. And in comparison to God, they're, they're nothing. They're lighter than vapor. I don't know how you can get lighter than vapor. When weighed against God, they come up lacking. Man will always come up short when weighed against God. We shouldn't put our hope in anything other than God. It says in verse, verse 10, Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. So neither wealth, whether gotten by, by uh, legal means or ill-gotten gain, says vainly hope in robbery or oppression. So no matter where our riches may come from, if we're fortunate enough to have it, we can't depend on that. We can't count on that. See, David's challenging us here not to trust in those things. God has spoken once, twice I've heard this, that power belongs to God. What is our perspective in this life? Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each according to his work. God is always fair. 
God is always just in the way he judges. And he's greater than all of man's power, man's wealth, and man's wisdom. God is greater than all of them. Psalm 63. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. In the wilderness. You know, David has written many psalms when he was being chased by Saul in the cave, uh, you know, hidden in the wilderness, when he was going through various trials. We experience a lot of time in the wilderness as, as, as people. And our wilderness is obviously not the same as the, as the wilderness that David was going through at the time, but it's common. What is our wilderness? Our wilderness is times of solitude. Our wilderness is times of sorrow and, and distress. Our wilderness are times of sickness. Our world wilderness that we can relate to, times of death, you know, close ones that, that we've lost. We have those times of wilderness in our lives. So we can directly relate to this. And there are many in the scriptures, in the, in the um, commentary that I was going through when I was uh, studying the Psalms, uh, something that attributed to Christopher Wardsworth says, of different people in the scriptures that have gone through wilderness experiences, Hagar saw, saw God in the wilderness and called a well by the name derived from that vision. Moses saw God in the wilderness in Exodus 3. Elijah saw God in the wilderness in 1 Kings 19. David saw God in the wilderness. And then he writes, the Christian church will see God in the wilderness in Revelation 12. See, no matter what we're going through, no matter what our wilderness experience is, and you, you, we all have our own that we can relate to. God is there. We, we will see God in our wilderness times. So let none of us think that because we're going through a wilderness experience or because we have times of solitude or sorrow or distress or sickness or death, that God, we won't find God in the midst of that because we will. It's been proven throughout the scriptures. So just a little, a little preface to this psalm before we go into it. it. says in verses 1 through 8, O God, you are my God. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Sounds like a wilderness time that David is going through says in verse 2, So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory, because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. 
My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. David probably wrote this psalm while in the wilderness when his son Absalom was seeking to undermine David's rule and take over as king. You know, I, I thank God for families who, are, who stay together no matter what, but a lot of us have, have um, estranged family members. But I don't know if any are as bad as what David went through with with uh, his sons, and uh, it was a lot of times it was David's fault. He really wasn't good at disciplining them when they needed it. But Absalom sought to take the throne from David. So there was a daily struggle that David was going through, and he was probably growing weary of it, and he's seeking for refreshment from God. And he says in verse 1, Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. David probably felt just totally wiped because of what he was going through. And I love the fact that he says, Early I will seek you. Whether it's early in the day, where certainly it should be the first thing that we think of when we get up in the morning, or whether it's early in our troubles. Sometimes we, we wait and we think that we can solve our problems and then sort of God is a, is a last resort or, or prayer is something we come to after the fact when prayer should be the first thing that we, that we go to. David is saying, early, early I will seek you. And then he says in verse 6, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. So not only does he seek him early, but he seeks him late. He seeks him in the evening. So I love that. Both ends of the day, we start with God, we end with God. And whatever happens in the middle, we know that God's covering it because we've sought him. He's refreshing us in the midst of it because we seek him day and night. So no matter what is going on throughout our day, we know that God is in the midst of it. Again, in, in our wilderness, God is there. God is there. We will seek him. We will find him. Verses 9 through 11. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword they shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Whenever there's someone who's earnestly seeking the Lord, there'll always be an adversary earnestly seeking their destruction. So, as men and women of God, we need to get used to that. The more we seek God, the more people will come against us. The more we seek the Lord, the more we'll have adversity in our lives because others will want to come against us. They will seek our destruction. But God, David says, will ultimately administer justice. And we just can... We can just sort of depend on that. We can rest in that fact, knowing that he's always 
just and faithful. And then in Psalm 64, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. Now, in this psalm, as in, we, as in many psalms that we see, we see a pattern. You know, uh, David's life full of conflict, full of opposition. And many times he'll make mention of his enemies in the psalms and, and pray against them. And he does that in this psalm. And in this psalm, he, he describes the viciousness and, and the shrewdness of his enemies. And then, because he knows his God, he prophesies of their end. And uh, we'll see that as we work through the psalm. Verses 1 through 4. Hear my voice, O God, in my meditation. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the rebellion of the workers of iniquity, who sharpen their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, bitter words, that they may shoot in secret at the blameless. Suddenly they shoot at him and do not fear. David here is speaking not of a a military attack, a, a physical attack. He's speaking of people who plot attacks with their words. He uses imagery of words being like a sword, of, of bitter words, uh, um, oppressive words being like an arrow. He uses that imagery there. You know, many people, I hear a lot of people say that Words really can't do anything. They can't harm you. I mean, I've heard people say that, that, that words don't mean anything. But I've seen more evidence that, that harsh words can really hurt. I've seen more evidence that words can be used either to, to build someone up or to tear someone down. So words do have power. And we're responsible for how we use those words. And David is saying here that the, the ones that come against him, they can use their words like a, like a weapon against me, like arrows or like a sword. And they're bitter and they're sharp and they're harsh. So I, I think that in this we can relate to ourselves that that we need to measure our words. We need to be careful with our words because they can, they can cause damage to others or they can build up. In verse 5 and 6, it says, they encourage themselves in an evil manner, speaking of the enemies. They talk of laying snares secretly. They say, who will see them? They devise iniquities. We have perfected a shrewd scheme, they say. Both the inward thought and the heart of man are deep. How often are we tempted to speak harshly either to others or, or about others, even the ones that are closest to us? Sometimes it's the ones that are closest to us that, that get the, the harshest words. And sometimes... Like David is saying about his, his enemies here, they, they sort of, they talk about these things and they, and they plot these things, he says, secretly. But really, God sees it all, even if, even if man doesn't see what we're plotting. 
God sees it. So it's really not in secret that we do any of these things. But they say, and, and many, many times we'll say, well, no one will know. No one will see. But God sees. And that really, that's really what we need to be thinking of. And then in verses 7 through 10, David is now prophesying of the end of the wicked. He said, but God shall shoot at them with an arrow. So he goes, in the first part he says, their words are like arrows. But now he says, God will shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly they shall be wounded. He will make them stumble over their own tongue. And all who see them shall flee away. I love how David expresses here the fact that God, the, the way that the evil person goes against the righteous, God will use that same thing in, in judging him. If, if they went against the righteous with their tongue, God will cause them to stumble over their own tongue. All men shall fear and shall declare the work of God, for they shall wisely consider his doing. The righteous shall be glad in the Lord and trust in him, and all the upright in heart shall glory. We see a lot of evil in this world, and we must never think that God has forsaken us. And whether it's a personal thing that we're going through or, or something bigger than that, God will always be just. God will always be righteous in his judgment. And I love that because it says in verse 10, the righteous shall be glad in the Lord and trust in him. We can know and believe that God will be righteous. We can believe that and we can know it because he's always faithful to be righteous and to be just. And so as, as people of God, as believers, we can trust in him no matter what. And again, like we discussed through a few of these psalms tonight, a lot of things go on in our lives. And we just need to be trusting in the Lord for the outcome because we know he's always faithful. And I don't think we can ever be reminded of that too often because we seem to forget, I think. I know I do. On a daily, daily, daily basis, it seems, I need to be reminded of these things. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord for your word to us. And, and God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, that you know our, our frailties and you know our needs. And Lord, you know how your word can minister to us. And Lord, we thank you that you're always faithful to do that. We ask, Lord, that whatever the circumstances are that we're going through, that we can always look to you knowing that you're faithful. Lord, whatever wilderness experience we're going through right now, Lord, that you will be there in the midst of the wilderness, that you haven't left us.